one of the most unique podcasts on the planet. Hey, bus driver. Hey, bus driver. Hey, bus driver. The show about everything related to student transportation. If you're a student transportation professional, you found your show. Hey, bus driver. Exploring the entire school transportation universe. Talking to interesting and inspiring people, exchanging ideas, promoting student transportation industry growth, and sharing a few funny stories along the way. Now, live from Phoenix, Arizona, this is Hey Bus Driver, and this is Jason Nelson. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Hey Bus Driver podcast. Today... I have Chad Brinkley back with us and some of our new friends, actually some people that I work with and have worked with uh, over the last 10 years of my career in student transportation and uh, welcoming in two of, uh, I guess, very close colleagues of mine, Sarah Sims, who is the federal programs coordinator uh, over at Phoenix Elementary School District. No, not coordinator. Director, no, I don't I'm know. a special populations coordinator. Special populations coordinator, but she does uh, work with several special populations there at Phoenix Elementary, specifically on the topic today that we're going to be talking about uh, homeless youth and students that fall under uh, the McKinney-Vento Act, uh, which is student transportation for students that are maybe experiencing home- some form of homelessness. So uh, we'll get into a lot of the topics behind that. And then also have Aaron Schroeder, who I don't even know what your title is, but does work with me at uh, our school district that we work at. Wait, she works there and you don't know her title? Well, I mean, it changes all the time. So just, you know. They just keep adding more words to it. Um, I'm federal programs and outreach manager. There you go. So how do you not know that? I I don't know. They they probably commonly. It has. It has. It has changed three times yeah. since we worked together in like the last four years. <laughs> they so. probably I commonly, didn't know that either. They probably commonly think that I'm the director, which I'm not. So, you know, it, it's all good. So anyways, uh, welcome in to all of you. Thanks for joining us on this Saturday morning here in, what are we in March? We're not March yet. End of February. But uh, excited to get going and. Anything going on new? Everybody, I think we're, Kyrene's getting ready to come back to school right after spring break. Sarah, have they said anything for Phoenix Elliott? Phoenix Elementary employees are returning um, on Monday, is that the 15th after spring break? Monday the 15th. But uh, we haven't gotten board direction on students just yet. We're hopeful. Got it. Have you guys been transporting some students though? We have. We've been following the executive order, making sure that special populations are getting to our five-day-a-week, we're calling them learning labs. So we've been transporting a few. And you work with Armando, who's been on the show a couple times already. So Armando, for those that have listened to past episodes, is the transportation supervisor. So he works with Sarah and uh, closely interacting with uh, any students that are needing to be... Uh, move to you know programs to and from wherever they're living as they're moving around the valley and um, so yeah so we've talked to Armando just on his expertise of transportation and uh, yeah so like I said glad to have you guys here real quick if you can 
Um, maybe, Sarah, just talk a little bit about your role and what you do there at Phoenix Hill um, as it relates to special populations. Sure. So I have been the special populations coordinator since 2012. Uh, prior to that, I was a school social worker at one of the building sites. And my, um, I'm, I'm fortunate in that my position is within the federal programs department. So I literally sit next door to the federal, um, the director of federal programs, which um, a lot of local liaisons don't have the luxury of. Um, getting to the money person can be, you know, a little more difficult. But um, in Phoenix Elementary, that is a luxury for me. And my responsibilities are um, homeless, foster care. I'm the point of contact at ADE for both of those populations. Um, I also um, help with refugee and immigrant students, um, as well as the Indian Education Program. I'm housed at the district office which is also a little bit different. Some other liaisons, I'm not physically in the transportation building. So sometimes that can have its challenges. I would assume so, for sure. And Aaron, can you talk a little bit? I think you have some similarities to what Sarah does, but uh, anything that you would like to add on what your role is? Well, I want to say, first of all, the, first lu the biggest luxury Sarah has is her office. It's beautiful, and she has an amazing view of the mountains, and I'm very jealous. And her building is beautiful. Kyrene, our building, um, we have a little bit of a facelift. So um, anyway, I, I work at Kyrene, like I said. Um, I'm the federal programs and outreach manager. So um, I guess I am the money person. <laughs> so I write all of our federal grants, which McKinney-Vento falls under um, mainly our Title I grant, but there's also a state grant that goes with that as well. Um, I supervise our, our uh, McKinney-Vento program, so um, we have an amazing uh, McKinney-Vento liaison, um, Leticia, who is our point of contact um, for McKinney-Vento and Foster. Um, I also supervise our Title VI Native American program, um, along with our um, Family Resource Center and um, kind of all the programs that roll into those programs. That's kind of the outreach portion of my job. Um, and I work in the district office, um, and our McKinney-Vento liaison does, during normal times, also work out of the district office. Um, I think that also keeps us with the eye on that McKinney-Vento, the legislation is more than just transportation. I mean, it's a huge part of it, but um, we really try to wrap services around um, our, our most vulnerable kiddos. So um, she is a social worker, Leticia, who um, is the liaison. So um, I think that's it. Awesome. Well, first of all, I appreciate all the work that you guys do for our our students that are experiencing some type of homelessness, whether it's being doubled up with a family member or living in a hotel. I mean, we see the challenges that kind of come with, um, you know, this this population that just seems to just move and move and move. And, um, you know, fortunately, we're we have a lot of services that are out there available to get them, you know, hopefully back on their feet and into some sort of transition place that, you know, they can get back on their feet and back into, you know, a permanent residence. But Sarah, can you talk a little bit about for those that might be new or maybe really don't know, you know, you get a lot of bus drivers that they just end up with a student that they got to go way, way far away and pick up. And they just don't really understand like, why am I doing this? Right. So what is McKinney Vento or what is the McKinney Vento act? 
and what was the intent? I mean, just kind of a high level view. What was the intent of of the act and how we've come to through, you know, maybe, um, you know, no student left behind to now it's I think every student succeeds and and just talk a little bit about that. Sure, absolutely. So um, I think you hit on a really important point. And if your liaison is not doing the annual review, which is required by federal law um, with your transportation staff, I think that's a, a misstep because it is so important for um, the entire transportation department from the top all the way down to those bus attendants to understand why they're going to the other side of town to pick up kiddos. So students can qualify as eligible under McKinney-Vento if they're lacking a fixed, adequate, and regular nighttime residency due to economic hardship or loss of housing. So um, you could have been evicted, you could have had a fire in the middle of the night and they're being put up in a hotel for a little bit. You could have, your family could have been the victim of domestic violence and you had to, to flee your, your housing. Um, any of those situations would be eligible under McKinney-Vento. And so the law says that you're able to stay at your school of origin, which is the school where you were enrolled or attending um, when you lost your housing or you became um, eligible. And so the only place that you can get a bus under McKinney-Vento is back to your school of origin. Um, sometimes parents um, believe that because they're McKinney-Vento, they can pick a school and um, that they can go to school wherever they want. And that's not what the federal law says. It says that you can get transportation back to your school of origin. Um, you also have the right as a parent to choose your school of residency, which is the school um, wherever your prior night's residence was, wherever you slept last night. You could choose to enroll there, um, but you would not, you would be, um, you know, fall under whatever transportation protocol happens for that district. If you're in the walking boundary, you don't just get a bus because you're McKinney-Vento. So um, let's say you're a student in Phoenix Elementary and you lose your housing and you end up in um, a family shelter. And um, so the district that that shelter is in and Phoenix Elementary would split the cost of that bus route. And so that could mean that um, I do half and the other district does the other half, or I could do the whole thing, or um, you're just both federally responsible for doing 50% of that route. And your eligibility lasts until the last day of the academic year. So if you become eligible on August 10th, you're eligible until the last day of school in May. And then you don't automatically renew from McKinney-Vento. Um, you have to be found eligible each academic year. How do they enroll? Like if something happens to a child or a family, say in the middle of the week or Wednesday night, and... I mean, would they contact the student counselor? Would they go to the, I mean, how would they enroll exactly? That's a great question. So it's the liaison's responsibility at each district to train um, on an annual basis staff. We, we train everybody. We train, you know, we go to staff meetings and we talk to the teachers and the IAs and the principal and the office staff. I also train the transportation staff each year. Um, anybody should know that if someone says to you, you know, those, those key words, we don't have a place, we're gonna have to move again, um, we're in shelter, 
Um, it's too far to walk from the hotel. Those are all clues that that would be McKinney Vento. And anybody in my district knows I don't need the form. You can send me an email. You can text me. You can call me, give me a kiddo's name. And then I follow up with the family to find out if, if they're truly eligible or not. And can I just jump in a little bit with the why behind the law? Um, it's really about because why do we send buses all over the place and why are we why are we focused on the school of origin? And I think it's because, um, and not everyone may realize it right away, but it's keeping that stability. So as the child's life is completely in transition and possibly there's trauma, um, well, there's definitely trauma if you're moving around, um, there can be one thing that stays the same. And there's a lot of research with every time you move schools, you lose, um, up, you lose a lot of your education and, and, and you just keep making bigger and bigger gaps every time you skip um, from school to school, even if you're not experiencing homelessness. Um, so that's really the wise to keep that, that stability for the students so they can stay in their home school where they know people, people know them. Hopefully things are working well for them. They've got that teacher that they have a relationship with. And that's one thing that can stay, um, stay uh, the same as they have other um, things going on in their life. Yeah, I think that's a pretty important point in that, you know, we do see students. I mean, I, like I said, I've, I've had the ability to work with Sarah and, and the, you know, downtown Phoenix area. We Our populations were far larger than what we're, you know, what we have here at Kyrene. But, um, you know, that's that has to do with probably we have a lot more shelters there. So we're always seeing kids, you know, emergency shelters coming in and out. They, they might get placed at a more uh, semi-permanent housing, like a, a full transition where they were there for six months to a year. But, you know, that piece of having the counselors and the principals and the teachers and everybody that's involved in this student and they're moving around, giving them that stability and the ability to, you know, keep up with homework and keep up with assignments and keep up with just all of the social and emotional learning that they, you know, the their learning and the experience that they need those are some of those you know big pieces and i think that even though we don't have an ability to always keep the same driver for that student um at least they they are able to follow the same processes and, and understand what is expected during the bus ride to and from wherever it is that they're going so um definitely you know i, I mean i think you hear from everybody probably has some sort of either they're in it and they fully buy into it or they're like, man, why are we doing this? And it's such a struggle because there are so many challenges with transportation, right? When a student moves and now all of a sudden you have a kid that goes from one side of the valley to the other and, and maybe I don't have a, a bus or, you know, right now so many of us are so short-staffed. How do we have enough resources to get them to where they need to go, right? So, what are, I mean, what are some of the challenges? Obviously, I touched on a little of them, but that you see that as liaisons that you're working with your transportation folks, what are some of the things that you hear from them that say, we just can't, and, and how do you work around that? Well, they can't say they can't, number one. <laughs> it's within the law. Um, if you receive federal funding, to comply with McKinney-Vento or your rest of your federal funds can be withheld. Um, it's a responsibility under the law. So um, it takes some education. It takes a ton of communication. And if I think it's one of those where it's an ounce of prevention up front. Um, 
Jason had the luxury of training me, right? (laughs) I knew nothing. When Jason said to me, is this our route or their route? I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. When I took on this role, I was a social worker who was on the user end and I didn't know anything about all the rest of this. So this was a learning process for me. And like I said, I am a social worker. So that's my training as an MSW. Um, I think that you have to get the buy-in and you have to um, get people on your team before you can try and make this whole thing work. So, um, and I've, I've been through, um, you know, different staff who, like you said, feel differently. Like we're going to 110% do this and we're going to do it great to others who are like, well, you know, if she pushes us, we'll do it, but we're not going to go, you know, above and beyond. So it, um, communication is one of the biggest things. Um, when you say that, you know, you and I used to talk on the phone 15 times a day, that's no, that's no joke. Yeah. Like, you know, little Aaron's not writing today or, um, you know, Landry has the flu or they get out early or, you know, don't, don't take Jim home today because we know that they've moved and I have to get in touch with mom or, um, the bus drivers are, are the lifeline. They're the, they're the folks that actually see the parent or guardian and the kid every day. And so I try and, um, you know, one of the, the biggest pieces is making sure that they know I'm approachable. Sometimes people at the district office are scary. I don't want to be scary. Um, I want them to know they can email, they can text, they can call me. Um, whatever's going on with one of my kids, and I'll joke about that, that I need to know. So um, the challenges can be as simple as mom's phone is turned off to my purchase order with my vendor is out of money and I can't use them anymore and I don't have a bus. So um, I think preparedness is one of the biggest things that you can do to make McKinney Vento go smoothly. Um, and, and just, again, talking to the money lady and money lady, are you going to let me have a purchase order for a vendor or are we going to hire, you know, a specific router or what are we going to do to make sure that McKinney Vento is covered and um, I hate to say it, really kind of first in line for coverage because we're, we're responsible for that. And I think so, um, you said like specific router. I think there are some districts here in the Valley that have specific routers that only work with their vans and you know or or whatever form of transportation that they're using and then just the mckinney vento students or mckinney vento eligible students they don't do any other special needs routing or anything else like that so i mean i assume that maybe through a grant somebody you know funds could potentially pay for that obviously that grant would have to be probably renewed every year but is that the type of funding or is there special funding dollars that might be out there that are eligible for, um, you know, through federal programs to, to fund a position like that? Um, you, yes, you could fund, I've never actually put it in a grant and gotten approved, but my knowledge of allowability tells me that that would be an allowable expense. Um, but that would be, that would take a big chunk of your, you know, your money and you'd have to justify why, um, you're using that instead of paying for other services for, um, for students. So, um, but yeah, it would be allowable. And there's also the McKinney Vento sub sub grant that's administered through the state that you could probably, um, use those funds. So maybe that's how districts use it. Um, is it was a a sub grant that's just for McKinney Vento. Um, because when you're using title one, if you take that out of title one, that's also impacting the money that goes down to the the schools. Sure. 
I also think um, one of those with transportation a challenge um, is sometimes our transportation drivers are so um, bought in and have such a heart for our kiddos that sometimes they let things slide maybe that they wouldn't normally because they are very empathetic about the experience that um, the students are having. And so we let some behavior issues slide. And so we don't get brought in until, oh, this has happened 20 times. And it's like, no, bringing us in again, we're not scary. We're not here to punish the child or anything like that. But it's, it's, it's for us to step in and have a conversation with a parent and with a child and um, making sure that everybody's safe. And so I think sometimes um, our, 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 our transportation drivers um, uh, think that, yeah, they, they just don't want to, um, they, they give as many passes as they can to the kiddos because they know that they're um, having a lot going on in their lives. Sure. So how's, how's COVID, I mean, really complicated all of this? Because obviously we had a pretty large shutdown where school pretty much closed. And then you talked a little bit, Sarah, I think about bringing you know, just a small population of kids back, depending on if their parents needed them back or if they were eligible to come back, et cetera. What, I mean, how has COVID impacted that? And what have you seen? I mean, have you seen an increase in in families that have been displaced since, I, I mean, really we're looking at pretty much a year now, you know, March 17th is when our state shut down. So, um, that's right around the corner. So what is it, what does that look like for, at least from what you can say for the the state and you know maybe in the valley just what you've seen so what i can tell you is i am still holding my breath and the reason that i say that in regards to mckinney vento is the eviction moratorium um, which is currently in place which is keeping some families in their housing um, who aren't able to make payments is going to eventually end Um, And when it does, um, I think that there are going to be, I think that the the dam is going to break, I'm afraid. And um, if you look right now on paper, no, my my numbers are literally half what they were last year. We have 223 kids found eligible last year. This year, I'm at about 110-ish, not counting the 10 that are on my kitchen table that I haven't entered yet. But the numbers are way low. And what I'm hearing statewide is that that are, that's the, that is, um, you know, everywhere, many districts and, and across the country, um, we feeling this. Part of the reason I think for that is children have had the, op- children were set up from the beginning on March 17th to learn remotely that you went home with a device, you, you know, we gave hotspots, we set kids up. So if you did move three times, it wasn't really that big of a deal. Um, You could still access your education and you could still get to the curriculum. So I think that I haven't heard from as many families during COVID um, because they've sort of flown under the radar a little bit. But I am um, really holding my breath when the moratorium is up because I don't know how many families are then going to become displaced. And um, if that happens, you know, shortly before we bring children back to learn, our children haven't been in classrooms since spring break of last year. Um, so that could really, um, that could be tough timing for us because it could be, hey, welcome back. And hey, by the way, we got to route all of these kids 
um, who then will speak up because they have moved um, and, and still want to continue with their school of origin. I think we're also, oh, there's, um, nat nationwide and in our in Arizona, we know that we're, we've lost kids. Um, there are kids that are just not, if you looked, you know, we have a national, we have a state database for all of our students. That, and that includes, um, you're actually supposed to register your um, homeschool students as well. And if you look at the state database, we are missing tens of thousands of kids. And um, I think ADE is actually partnering with one of the larger school districts to try to find some of those kids. Um, so I also think that some of our most at-risk students have also just dropped off the radar right now and are not um, participating in any sort of formal school. And so I'm also scared for those kids that have may just kind of disappeared, which is like, how do we lose kids? But I know that it's um, it's across the country that they're experiencing. Um, that's not just Arizona. So again, like Sarah said, I think once things go back to some semblance of normal, and so you start, you know, knowing that the kids should be in school <laughs> instead of, you know, seeing kids at noon and thinking it's normal for them not to be in school um, because of remote learning, I think there's going to start, um, we're going to have a huge influx of also kids that just have, been in, have had no schooling for the last year plus too. Sure. How do you find those kids that, you know, don't, that don't have a home or whatever you talked about sitting tablets home, of course, Wi-Fi. I know there's hot spots, but um, I was getting ready to ask how you guys located those kids or how many of them do you think went without this entire time? We have the luxury of being relatively small school district. And um, our staff um, took on the task at the beginning of this to try and contact every single family. Um, and they, the teachers and the, and the staff and the principals did an amazing job of doing that. They reached out to find out what families needed, what they already had. We partnered with an internet provider to provide low cost internet. We made sure that families knew that Wi-Fi was accessible outside of city buildings. Um, it took a lot of outreach and it took us a while to find a majority of those kids. Um, but we, we did a lot of work on social media. Um, we did a lot of work on our website and, and we literally just picked up the phone and, and called folks and, and tried to stay in touch with what emails we had to let them know that we were still doing lunches and we were, we were going to get supplies out and that, you know, tech was available um, it, it was a, it was a communication storm in the beginning and it still is. It's, it's a weekly update, you know, what's changing and what's new and, and resources that are out there. So, um, sometimes kids find us and sometimes we find them, um, you know, it, it was hard when offices were closed. Um, there, and there was a time when our front offices were not open, but, um, I also have to give a huge shout out to those folks because, they came back to work and they opened our front offices so that families did have a place to go and check in and, and find out how to get that tech. So um, a huge undertaking in the beginning for us. So outside of transportation, like what other services are available for a family that might be displaced? Um, we in Kyrene, we offer um, tutoring if it academically is appropriate. Um, I'm a big believer in trying to work within the school day, so I really push into our multi-tiered systems of support. Did I get that right? Yeah, MTSS. 
um, and try to make sure that they're receiving intervention during the day. Um, but we have layered on an extra layer um, in the afternoon um, after school during non-COVID times for, um, for that. We will also um, help out with fees for field trips, um, whatever they need to be able to access um, the learning. If uh, our Family Resource Center has school supplies and all that kind of thing, so we don't actually have to purchase that out of the grant. Um, and we have a very, very strong community support. So we're able to really, um, from clothes to um, bus passes, um, whatever we, we think um, students and families need to be able to be successful in school, we, we do our best to provide um, provide that. I don't know, what else am I missing for? Um, children who qualify under McKinney-Vento are also categorically eligible for free and reduced lunch, um, which can be huge in some districts. In my district, all kids eat for free regardless, but um, in some districts that can, that literally is why families are applying is for that, that free lunch. Um, families experiencing homelessness are also categorically eligible for programs like Head Start. Um, and so you, um, and, and I think it should be said too, Jason, that the, the eligibility criteria for educational homelessness is different than what housing and urban development considers a homeless person. And so it's a little bit easier, if you will, to be considered um, educationally homeless um, than if you're trying to access housing. But like Aaron said, um, we're required to actually set aside a portion of our Title I funds for McKinney-Vento use. And so if you need, in Phoenix Elementary, every child gets a hygiene kit and a backpack upon enrollment. They're just at the school, they're ready to go. It's just like a, a welcome gift, we're glad you're here. Um, I don't know that they necessarily know they're getting it for a special reason. It's just like, hey, thanks for enrolling, here's, here's some supplies. Um, and um, we also do, you know, like Erin said, uniforms, socks, underwear, shoes, jackets, mittens, um, whatever the kid needs to access the curriculum, um, we're able to purchase. And so if there's a barrier, uh, the liaison's responsibility is to remove barriers to enrollment, retention, and success in school. Um, and it, I might sound pretty corny quoting the law, but I've been trained by some of the best at ADE that always throw the law back at me. So now I'm that old person that's throwing it back at the newbies. Um, you know, removing barriers and accessing the curriculum is really the intent of the law. So if that means that a kid um, needs $20 to go on a field trip and the parent doesn't have it and they're McKinney-Vento, if, if the teacher gives me enough heads up to get set up with the vendor, I, I, we can pay that. Um, like Aaron said, we buy bus passes. Uh, we also do mileage reimbursement. When you talked about the challenges of not having buses available, that's one of those things that I meant when I talked about preparedness. Um, not every district has the means to reimburse parents, but we do, and we use that. And so it's, in my eyes, making the parent our partner. If you're willing to get your kids to and from school every day, we will reimburse you based on the MapQuest mileage of what it is from your prior night's residency to the school of origin. So there's some paperwork. They have to fill it out. They have to you know, give me their odometer and all that good stuff. But... Um, you know, there's also some, some education that goes along with that. When you say, I'll give you reimbursement, that means you drive the miles and then I pay you back for them. You don't get the money up front. Sure. Um, you know, I've learned my lesson with that. The parents, well, I didn't understand. That's what, I didn't know what that word meant. And so I thought you were going to give me money to fill up my 
truck now and, and I don't have that. And of course it has to be feasible. If the truck's not, or they don't have car seats or they don't have insurance, I, it's not feasible for me to expect them to drive their own kid. So um, there's a background that goes into setting up a transportation route. And um, I think that when we do return from COVID, those are going to be some really intense phone calls of, you know, what kids have and who's going to be there to pick up and drop off. And um, uh, those are some, some challenges that come along with that. For sure. Another piece, um, when you started talking about quoting the law, I know where I quote the law a lot, is um, immediate enrollment. Uh, in, if you want to enroll your students, typically um, you need to bring a lot of paperwork with you. I know when I enrolled my son in kindergarten, um, I basically signed my life, you know, birth certificate, uh, you know, proof of residency, you know, shot record, all sorts of documentation. But um Things like even an address can be really tricky for our um, McKinney-Vento families. And so um, sometimes you'll end up um, having to educate your front office staff or your behind the scenes computer um, tech people um, that we need to enroll first, ask questions later. School is the safest place for me. We're, you know, not, we're not creating a barrier for this family, are we? So um, that's another very um, big piece. Not that we don't we work in the back end then to try to get that information. We don't just um, throw our hands up and, but we enroll the student and then we work with the families to try to get all the documentation in place. Sure. It's definitely a lot of work that goes into it. And I know this, this next question might could go probably both ways, right? You might have some, some liaisons that really just do the bare minimum and, you know, have so many other things that are on their plate that, um, transportation for homeless youth really kind of becomes a not a priority right but you might also have some supervisors or transportation staff that have been there a long time and just think that there's a bunch of hogwash and they don't really want to be a part of it so how do you go about building and creating that strong team Sarah you kind of talked about communication but if somebody was really having a hard time connecting what I mean what would be some of the things that you found to be good successful tools to help break down those barriers, but also, you know, really support the student in this case. I think the the most effective thing for me was making myself available to the transportation staff and letting them know that this is a partnership and that the most vital link, and, and I believe this is, is the folks that are seeing those children every day. Um, everybody is a mandated reporter. And so I, I hate to keep coming back to the law, but I try and express to you know all transportation staff or even up to, you know, maybe there's a director that's that's giving you grief about, you know, spending too much on buses or whatever. Sometimes the most powerful things you can do is give them a case example. You don't have to use names, you don't have to use exact school sites, but really letting them know what's happened to a family. Not, it's, it's not always, you know, poor choices and blowing money that, that ends up in a homeless situation. And so sometimes giving those real life examples, um, for example, I, I used to give this example all the time. I, I worked at an elementary school and some kids went to walk home from school one day 
And they did, and they got there, and the building that they had lived in for years, which was an abandoned building, had been leveled during the school day. And so they came back to school, and they were like, Sarah, our house is gone. I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, there's a, there's a digger there, and we've, we don't have a house. There, there's nowhere to go. And so those, those kiddos had to double up, and it was a long ways away. And, and can you imagine how traumatic? And that would be to get there and be like, where we slept last night is gone. And all of our stuff that was there is gone. And um, people would be like, well, that might not be realistic. Um, it's realistic. Families are living without power. They're living without water. They're living um, in their vehicles. Um, no joke, we had a family living in a tent under a mesquite tree that was heavily overgrown that nobody could see. Um, and sometimes you have to move. Sometimes someone says, this has got to be cleaned up. You got to move. Um, or a family has a falling out and they, they have to, to move. And so I think giving those real life examples and saying, what if you were a first grader and this was your life? Wouldn't you want to go back to that classroom where you felt, um, you know, loved and secure and not have everyone know what's going on with you? That's the other thing is I always try and talk to anybody who will listen about, you know, families have rights to confidentiality and their own, you know, self-worth and respect. And so just how much extra effort it takes by us from staff to make sure that we're not degrading people's human value. Um, so I think that giving personal examples is one way to really build that bridge. And then again, go back to the law and you're required to do this. And I know it's not fun and I know it's not easy. And sometimes I want to pull my hair out, but we have to make this work. The other thing I can say with that is, um, you have to have the partnership of your other districts and your other liaisons because sometimes the Jasons of the world are going to say to me, I have no bus Sims. What do you want me to do? Like, I can't make this route happen in the three days that we have this agreement that it's going to happen. And I might have to call on Leticia and Kyrene and be like, dude, can you do three days for me until I can figure this out? And then I'll pay you back. You know, look at the calendar. Can, can you, you scratch my back? I'll scratch yours. Like, I can't tell you how important it is to show your upper management that you are a team player with other people as well and other districts in ABE. And maybe if you use a vendor, um, a lot of districts use a third party vendor for transportation. So again, it comes back to that communication piece um, and explaining what your needs are. I, I, it took me a couple of years to understand that I needed data to show Jason taught me this. It's not like I, Myself. But we need a spreadsheet of how many kids did we transport and where to and how many buses did that take and how many miles was it and what did that cost? Um, and most districts don't take the time to do that. But I can't tell you how valuable that is when you go to the money lady and you're like, look, I had this many routes. There's this many bus drivers. Can I have a purchase order for a vendor or can we please put five thousand dollars um, down for mileage reimbursement for parents or something to lessen the load so that um, we have less conversations where I can't do it. Sure. Sure. Erin, you got anything? And if all fails, bring cookies down to your transportation department. <laughs> we'll work for food. For I, food. I've heard the, the, sprouts, the cookies at Sprouts are extra good for uh, bribing uh, your transportation um, department to do something they might not be too happy about. Yeah, and I don't. I wouldn't say that we're not necessarily happy or not happy about it. I think it really comes down to just that true struggle, right? I mean, 
you're moving kids all over the place. Just take out the time constraints in general, right? If we got to get from one school to the next school to the next school, and and I think that even you talk about communication between liaison and the department, it's also the the transportation to the school to the liaison, like including the school staff in this, right? Because, um, you know, we did I did this with Sarah, and I've also done this where where we're at now is that just because the the school releases at this time doesn't mean that a student can't wait in the office for 10 or 15 minutes or maybe there's something we could do with a before and after school program where they can wait for a vehicle to come pick them up and we've talked about that with you know working out with when washington uh washington l you know finding out if they have space in their program that hey we can't get there by 3 30 at dismissal but we can get there by four so do you have a place where this kid can go and wait and just thinking kind of outside the box right you're just trying to figure it out or having a van go from school to school to school and then going on to the route and not having to worry about just making one singular trip with one student. Um, you know, I know that some some districts have, you know, no van policies. Basically, everything has to be done on a school bus. Um, some do all third-party transportation. Some have a whole fleet of vans. And, um, you know, I, I understand that's where those challenges come from, but... It really, I think the big thing is that we're all here for one purpose. And I've said this through several episodes and in my daily life, right? Our main purpose is to move students. So if that means our general ed students, our special needs students, our McKinney-Vento students, whatever that is, we have to figure it out. And, you know, it's 180 days that we typically got to figure it out. And once we get to the summer, it all starts all over again. So, um, you know, I think the big things that really wear on people is, like you said, the drivers that think that they have to give a pass on behavior or think that they have to, um, you know, just deal with certain situations that they might be dealing with. And that really becomes a struggle because now they're like, hey, this kid is really giving me a hard way to go. And so how do we how do we fix that? How do we resolve that? Um, you know, and I think that just maybe Sarah, you can chime in on maybe a behavior contract that the parent has to sign or talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. Um, on the ADE website, there is a section for liaisons. And I think that if anyone listening is new to this whole thing um, or is looking for sample documents, those are on the ADE website and they're helpful. They're not a copyrighted. I probably stole it from Dorothy and Washington L who borrowed it from Mesa, who looked at Kyrene's. I mean, they're really a compilation of what has 15 years in this business taught me, what do I need to know? What do parents need to know? Um, and I, I try and make a point in my annual training to transportation staff that just because you're McKinney-Vento doesn't mean you can be naughty on the bus. That, that is not a pass. And just because you're McKinney-Vento doesn't mean that you can't be subject to consequences um, on the bus. You can't endanger yourself or anybody else and think that we're going to continue to pick you up and take you to school every day you can be suspended off of those vehicles. Um, I am not the disciplinarian. I don't want to be, I'm not able to be, the building administrators are. So again, what does this entail? Communication. Bus drivers have to be able to let me know that there was a problem on the bus. I tell the school principal, the principal makes, you know, determines if there's a consequence and I need to let parents know, drivers know, put it in email. Um, my biggest thing is if it's not in writing, it never happened. So like Aaron said, when drivers give 20 passes 
and you don't hear about it, it hasn't happened until you put it in writing and tell me this is the first time that I'm documenting it. So we do have a transportation contract in Phoenix Elementary. One of the main reasons I give it out is so that parents have my phone number on a piece of paper four times. You know, it says, you're going to call me if you move. You're going to call me if the kid's sick. Um, it states right in the contract that if, if there's three days of no call, no shows, I'm going to suspend the route until I hear from you. It's not our responsibility to burn gas and burn someone's time every day if you're not going to use the resource that's given to you. And that might sound, sound kind of rough, but there, there are times when you could keep sending a bus for a week and, and parents don't have a phone or they're not able to tell you that they're not going to ride. So it's, um, I kind of joke sometimes that I have to use my own parenting common sense and teach that to others. Like, we're going to be nice to each other on the bus. It's a privilege. We're going to communicate and um, we're not going to eat on the bus. We're not going to, you know, even though you're going home with a food bag or snacks or whatever, you know, there's still rules that, that we have to apply. And, and ultimately it's a privilege um, that, that we're riding on the bus. So we do have a transportation contract. We also have some waivers. Um, sometimes we do give bus passes. And so we, we do like to have parents acknowledge that they're receiving those bus passes and that they're responsible. Um, of course, we would never have a little ride, you know, um, Valley Metro without a parent. So if I'm expecting them to do that, parent gets a bus pass and so does the kid. Um, so just documenting some of those transactions that make this whole thing um, work. Um, that, you know, there's lots of sample forms on ADE's website that, that might be helpful to somebody who's trying to start this out. Also on the website is the form, which I think Jason created, that has every piece of information that you could need to route a kid. Um, you know, their name, their student ID number, their date of birth, their home language, a contact number, an emergency contact number. Are there any medical needs? Are there any special needs? Um, can the student be left unattended? And if that box is marked, parents need to understand if we get your kid to the bus stop, wherever that is, and you're not there, we're not leaving the kid. So do they then understand what the emergency protocol is? If they say, oh, don't leave my kid unless I'm there. Okay, if you're not there, this is what the procedure will be. So um, forms like that, I don't think you can do this whole thing without having an internal form. And, and most people's forms look very similar, I think. It's back to that form that I think Jason created years ago. Which would be really nice if the state would just come out. Everybody. Yes. And back to Chad's question about um, how do, you know, how do kids, how do we find kids? There is no form that's required by the federal government for eligibility. Um, you know, that some people call it a residency questionnaire. I, I have to have a form to keep myself straight. So, we have what's called a residency questionnaire, which ultimately says, are you lacking homeless and you know, are you lacking a permanent place and is it due to economic hardship? But um, again, there's not a form that's required. So what, whatever works for your, your district or your charter is okay. There, there is no guideline. So I did want to say that as well. Yep. Aaron, got anything to add? Nope. All right. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm floored. I mean, I just, Obviously, there's no room for color commentary in today's discussion. <laughs> My fiance is a LCSW, and so I've heard about different things here in Oklahoma over the years. 
and being a parent of three kids and a stepson, like it's heartbreaking. I mean, the story about the kids that went home and and their house was gone. Just, I was speechless. I didn't know what to say. Like, I wanted to say something. It's like, wait, what? Their, their house was gone. I mean, that's disturbing that kids go through this and to have people in the districts and have this program. And I didn't know what McKinty Vento was before I came to Arizona. I had no idea. And uh, it took me a while to figure out kind of what it was and how it helped. But thank God it's there. I mean, these kids that that are just without and then to have staff, like you guys discussed earlier about reaching out, finding, locating these kids, making them aware that this is there for them and being able to go to school to get the Wi-Fi to get, you know, lunches delivered. Um, I, I mean, great job. This is wonderful. And does every state have this program? Is every state, you know, 50, 50 mm-hmm. federally funded as well, or do we know? It's federal law. Yeah. Every state okay. has it. So I'm wondering, and I, forgive me, I'm, I am in the bus sale side, but I've been using buses for, you know, over a decade. And this isn't really a conversation. Like, you don't sell people McKinty Vento buses, if you will. Um, is it is this the name of this the program for each state, or is this exclusive to Arizona? Or so, Chad. Know? Here's a here's a fun fact. McKinney Vento is actually the names of the two um, legislators who felt strongly and got this federal law passed. Stuart B. McKinney, I believe, is his first name, and I don't know Vento's first name, but yeah, they were two. Um, lawmakers who felt really strongly about this and pushed to get the, the federal law passed. So yes, it's, it's the same every it's 50, 50 in anybody who's, and so people always say, well, I'm a charter and I don't have buses, so I don't have to do it because I don't provide buses to anybody else. Yes, you do. You, you are required under federal law to do the 50, 50. Isn't it the only federal law governing to have to do with um, uh, people experiencing homelessness. I think it's one of the few um, federal laws about homelessness. For education, yeah. It's, it's an unfunded mandate. Mm-hmm. We don't get any money for transportation directly for that. We, um, we have to be smart with our use of grant funds. And um, the, the sub-grant that we talked about earlier is a competitive. Um, it's on a three-year cycle through the Department of Ed. Anyone can apply for that. Your funding amount is based on how many students you've found eligible. Um, so that's that's another piece is, is the, you know, finding the funding. Before we end, I just, I do have, I would be remiss if I didn't give a huge shout out to our bus drivers. Um, many of our hourly staff at Phoenixell have continued to report to work. They've wanted to stay busy. They've wanted to stay employed. And they literally reached out to me and said, Sarah, what do you got? What can we do to keep busy, to help kids, and to keep things moving? And so even though they weren't transporting children, they were transporting goods and services for me all the time. Um, I purchased some five-gallon buckets full of cleaning and disinfecting supplies, and they ran those around. I called families and said, would it be okay if we drop this off? And I gave the buckets to the warehouse, and they got those out. And, um, you know, we have partnerships with the family shelter and they would call and be like, hey, the hotspot broke. 
can you bring me a new one? Absolutely. Bus driver goes to the school, picks up a new hotspot, goes to the shelter, gets the broken one, returns the broken one to the management information system. I mean, these folks have been vital in keeping things going and getting kids what they need. And um, I just wanted to give that a shout out real quick. Absolutely. So to, to wrap it up, uh, the kind of the most important question, I think, or at least for both of you, what's the most fulfilling aspect of working with these families? You know, you get you get beat up a lot on the phone because people are in trauma and you don't always have the answer that they want to hear. But once in a while, it's not once in a while, more than more than you would think, parents are so grateful or kids will draw you a little card or, you know, they'll send you something that that just lets you know how much this meant to them. And um you just, you have to find the silver lining. You have to know that this is the intent of the law. And if we want schools to be successful and kids to be successful, we, we need to do our part. So um, it, it's, it's rewarding, but people say, how do you not take it home with you? you? You have to have your own boundaries of this is what I can do within the law. And this is what I have to work with. And then you, you, when you find something that you're not able to use grant funds for, you find yourself reaching out to figure out how can I meet that need? Is it the faith-based community? Is it my own network of people? Um, I'll just give you an example. We, we can't buy gas cards, right? Like our district just they won't do gas cards. And so I just put it on my social media page that I was looking for small denominations of gas cards. And I can't believe how generous people are. They trust me to, you know, here you go. Here's, here's three $20 gift cards. And if 10 people do that, that, that's a lot of families that um, maybe could put gas in their truck until you get that route set up. And so you really become, and I know Dorothy, who couldn't be with us today at Washington now is a master of this. She has a million community connections to fill in those gaps for things. And so um, I think it's rewarding when you find ways to beat the system and, and help kids at the same time. Sure. So, so that was that was my next question is, is there a way, can you guys accept donations from outside sources? So you just answered my question. We prefer stuff, not money. It's, money's really hard because um, it goes into the all the rules that govern um, school districts. So um, people want to give me money a lot. And I do actually have a gifts and donations fund that runs through my family resource center. But there, are, it, it, once it goes into a school district, all these rules then start um, applying to it. So stuff like gift cards or, um, you know, donation of um, school supplies, that kind of stuff. Um, hygiene, uh, that's what we, at least I think I'm speaking for Sarah too, that I would prefer um, that then a, a check is hard um, to, and I don't want to get in trouble <laughs> dealing with cash. Um, so a couple other things Chad, are, are comfort items that may not necessarily be, um, necessary to access the curriculum, which means I can't then use federal funds, but things like air mattresses or sleeping bags um, and, and getting those as a donation, you have to have somewhere to store it unless you can turn them around to kids like immediately. But um, if you're doubled up in a two, two bedroom apartment and there's multiple people there, you might be sleeping on the floor. And so things like a yoga mat or a sleeping bag could be like super exciting to sure. a kid and I can buy pencils and I can buy notebooks and I can buy backpacks. So when people are like, Oh, I want to give you this. I'm like, that's great. But what I could really use is 
sunscreen or lip balm or whatever, you know, something mittens. Um, again, I could probably find all of those things, but people feel good buying that towels, um, you know, socks and undies. You never have enough socks and undies for little kiddos. So um, every district has in a way to um, receive those. So like Aaron said, I, I don't want to deal in cash, but in material items, it's a donation receipt um, form goes to my board they accept it and stuff can be given to kiddos well i think we're lucky. so gift cards so gift cards wouldn't count as cash i mean so you could accept gift cards but not cash is that what i'm hearing yes mm-hmm. i mean work with individual school district and everybody has their own business um governance um and we in Kyrene, um we were the first people to partner with an organization um, a nationwide organization. So if you're listening to this across the country, um, they're, I think they're in every state at this point, but we actually learned about them at the um, a homeless education conference um, a couple of years ago, but it's called Perposity and it's an actually an online platform that's connected. Um, it connects our school district and its specific needs. So there's a child that comes in that needs a pair of shoes or an air mattress or um, even things that are, again, not academic needs, but um, we fulfilled um, there was a father-daughter dance, a single father um, was experiencing homelessness and their church was having a dance. And so we were able to purchase a party dress. And so it's a um, connects donors to needs through Amazon. We put the needs. So Kyrene is the one that gets everything and makes sure that it's actually a true need. We um, submit them to this platform. It connects it to Amazon. And then you can go on and purchase the item. It comes to our school district and then we um, send it back out again. And we've um, our, our community is just tens of thousands of dollars worth of um, items for our students. And it's neat. We can even include like middle schoolers who are very particular about what they wear. Um, They might not find something at our family resource center that works for them. So they can pick out a sweatshirt that they'll actually wear or a pair of shoes that they'll actually wear. Um, So that's been another awesome um, connection that we have. Um, And I would also say I don't work directly with students and parents very often. I I come in usually when there's a problem. Um, And so one thing that I also, a a big joy for me of this work is is working with our principals and they come to me frantic because they think a child's going to be taken away from them that they've been working with and have this great relationship. And even though the child may sometimes um, have some maybe behavior struggles, they've really found a sweet spot to work with them. And they're just frantic because of either through foster care or through, through experiencing homeless, they think these kids are going to disappear. And so we're able to work together and just kind of see their shoulders um, come down because they, uh, they're going to get to keep their kids, <clears throat> kiddo, for uh, another year. So to clarify for me, what's the best, something like me or someone outside, what's the best item that they could donate to help? Or items like what? What are the best things? Uh, you know, obviously, like you mentioned about the uh, you know blow up mattresses. Well, that takes up room. You got to find a place to store them. So, what is the what are the best items or that we could donate from the outside? Gas cards. <laughs> Gas cards are are tough. I would really encourage you if you feel, um, you know, if you feel a passion for this, get in touch with your local liaison. Every single school district in the United States has homeless kids, whether you whether you want to believe it or not. The highest socioeconomic districts to the lowest, there are homeless kids. And the needs might be different. Yeah. Um, so I really would encourage you to get in touch, find out who that liaison is. There's a liaison list on the, on the Arizona Department of Education's website. 
And I think most states are probably like that. And you could find a list and you could literally call and say, Sarah, I would like to donate. What would be something that would make someone's day? Yeah. And just ask. I mean, I know that uh, I think I was working with Leticia um, a couple of years ago, had a family that was literally living out of their car, I'm pretty sure. And then they had just got their own apartment and needed, you know, stuff to furnish. Right. And so, um, you know, they were looking for mattresses or just whatever to furnish the apartment to make it livable, really. Um, and, you know, so I think that in those cases, to Chad's point, that liaison, if you if you contact your, your liaison, they may have a specific family that is really in need right then and there. It's not necessarily a, a drop in the bucket to here's gas cards or here's, you know, bus tickets or, or whatever it is that you want to fill in the blank with, right? I think that would just be much better off if you're just connecting them with them at the time and saying hey what can we help with and, and just just connecting that outreach right even if you're just a community member that doesn't have kids within the school district and you want to help right you want to have a an ongoing helping partnership i think we have our own um family resource center aaron do we do we take volunteers that you know to staff that or they have to be school staff not right now. Um, during normal non-COVID times, yes, we absolutely um, love volunteers. But right now, um, we're not allowed to have anyone outside of um, the, the, it needs to be a Kyrene staff member. But in normal times, yes, we absolutely, they're the lifeblood of the, the work that we, we do there. And yeah, it's, it's reaching out to the liaison is great because you never know. I know like we have a partnership with a local church that does a Sunday, Sunday undie drive for us every Sunday. So we don't need underwear because we have a church that's continuously um, bringing us brand new <laughs> in the package underwear. Pretty awesome. Yeah. One thing I can tell you, Chad, that's always a hit are snacks. You can't buy food with grant funds. So things that aren't going to mess up Jason's buses, but um, yeah. things that are packaged, you got to think a lot of families may not have any way to refrigerate food um, or they might be dealing with just a microwave or a hot plate. So um, you know, little prepackaged items that you can, if, you're, if your district doesn't have a food bank or some kind of referral system, um, or if kids are in tutoring, every kid's starving after school. And so to have a granola bar or a pudding or something that they can have after school is sometimes like Era, you can use federal funds to buy snacks for tutoring. I don't have tutoring. Okay, I was going to say, if you're tutoring McKinney Vento, you can buy, I'll talk yeah. to you. <laughs> That's yeah. the only, that is the only way that you can buy food is snacks from McKinney Vento students. So, I'm just, uh, sorry, I just had to put okay. my like money hat on for a second. When I poured them in my office. I have, like, boxes. Of uh-huh, yep. 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 Good snacks. Well, like I said, we there's so much that you could talk on this topic, and, and I know that Sarah's, Sarah's been really great in hosting the Tom's meetings through – uh, the Valley, I, you know, I, I know COVID's kind of put a, a little bit of a damper on that, but typically what three or four times a year, bringing liaisons and transportation folks together in a room to, to talk about these challenges and, and hear from sometimes vendors want to come and present and we talk about, you know, just what does summer look like? What does next year look like? What are some, just the ways that liaisons and transportation folks from different districts, you know, interact and work with each other. Me, us being out kind of in the Southeast Valley, we work a lot with Mesa. When I was at Phoenix L, we worked a lot with Washington L. And so, you know, you build these really strong, formidable bonds with each other. And, and you know, we're all helping each other's students. So 
it's a lot. It's a lot to take in, and I think the most important piece is that we're all here to help kids. And, you know, I think the more that we can really drill that down to our bus drivers, our transportation staff, our school staff, our, you know, and just let parents know that we're here to help them however we can, that's that's the big thing. So going to wrap it up. I appreciate you guys being here. Um, maybe we'll do a round two, see if Dorothy might be able to, to join us next time. But thank you all for being here. And... Everybody stay safe, and we'll talk soon. Enjoy your spring Yes, breaks. thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invite. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Hey Bus Driver. Thanks for being part of our community. If you're a student transportation professional, you are part of our family. The show is coming to a close, but you can reach out online. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hey Bus Driver Podcast. And check out the website at www.heybusdriver.com. Till next time, this is Hey Bus Driver, signing off.